Welcome to the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about recovery from addiction. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. Good afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon. This is going to be a big episode. Today, for episode 100, that's right, we hit 100. Three digits, baby. Three digits, we're there, Doc. Now, that's what I wanted to say, right? So today, I got to be careful, because usually when you're here, I just turn and say, hey, Doc, what do you think about that? Yeah, you might get some answers. You but might we get got, several different answers on we that We got one. two doctors in the studio today. Right. It's so unbelievably filled with knowledge. <laughs> How much schooling do you think is in this little podcast studio? Well, I don't know. A lot. There's a lot. We've been to a lot of years of school. Let's go ahead and introduce him. Today for episode 100, we have our guest is Dr. Eric Evans. He's the owner of Desert Sands Ketamine, and he's come on to chop it up with Doc Sellers about ketamine treatment, Yeah, which I'm looking forward to. Yeah, me too. Thank you. Welcome, welcome. So before that, though, episode 100 is brought to us by our amazing sponsors, Steps Recovery Centers. Steps Recovery Centers is ready to help you or a loved one get help as soon as you're ready to reach out. Reach out by giving them a call at 801-800-8142, or just go directly to their website. That's stepsrc.com. They have detox, inpatient, day treatment, IOP, aftercare, from start to finish, from the top of Utah to the bottom. They are ready to help you or love them get help whenever you're ready to get help. I think you might have forgotten they also have residential. You might have said it, but I didn't. I said hear inpatient. It. You're right. That is oh, the you technical said term. No, you <laughs> said inpatient. You're right. I, I, you know what? Never mind. You said You're inpatient. Good. You're good. We appreciate them sponsoring this podcast. Yeah. Episode 100 is also brought to Do us by Rise Up Supps. Rise Up Supplements is a nootropic line. Uh, right now, we've got they've got two formulas. Uh, the first one is going to be Mindful Mood. Mindful Mood helps decrease anxiety and enhance mood. You can take two to three a day. It's fantastic. Listen. We also have a second formula. It is Mind Switch. Mind Switch, oh, slow down. Mind Switch helps increase focus and optimize brain function. That's going to be a really strong nootropic, right? Like that really is, is going to help with focus, motivation. For the month of November at checkout, this is podcast listeners only. This will, won't go on Facebook except for our Facebook uh, page. Podcast 50 to save 50% off. For the first two weeks of the month of November. Whoa. Half off. 50% off. 50% off. Give them a try. Wow. That's riseupsups.com. R-I-S-E-U-P-S-U-P-S dot C-O-M. Bogo. Here we go. Basically buy one, get one free. You got it, Doc. Gotcha. Try both formulas. They're both great. I have tried both formulas. You like them? Yeah, I love them. You know, yeah. I my, my wife found a bottle of that in the, in the car. Uh, she's, oh. like, she's like, what is this? <laughs> oh. <laughs> she... I said, you know the drug guy I do the podcast for? He gave me some drugs. <laughs> and then we had a conversation. It yeah. was in, it yeah. was engineered between the brain between these two ears. So, I mean, be careful. I'm it might, scared. you know. I'm scared. It's actually that. a pretty good I feel like both I'm super proud of both formulas. It took me a year to formulate both of them, so. Admit it, Sean, you took all the capsules, opened them, dumped them out and filled them with some stuff you bought in Jamaica. <laughs> <laughs> that rolls us right into our new and goods. Sean, why don't you start us off with new and goods? Oh my gosh. A couple of days in Miami, a couple of days in Jamaica. Jamaica, man. And I was surprised. I've been offered, I was offered more drugs in Jamaica for the two, three days I was there than I've ever been offered in my entire life. I'm so yeah. proud of you. And you said no. I said no. 
There you go. But it was such a cavalier way. I mean, we're on the beach at the resort, and there's people walking up and down the beach. Hey, you want some uh, Coke or, uh, uh, what is it, uh, Molly or X or whatever? Just... Just Coke Molly X, Coke Molly X, Coke you're, Molly X, you're like, Coke, Mo- Coke Molly. You're like weed, listen, weed. Every, like the peanut vendor at the ballpark. Exactly. Peanuts, popcorn. It's exactly. It was like, wow, <laughs> dude, don't hold back. That's what we've been preparing you for for two years, Sean. You have to listen to our these terrible, tragic stories of active addiction and life into recovery, so that you would be ready to say no to people in Jamaica. You're welcome. But now, but now I, this is but, not Coke on ice. No, right, no, this, this is not is Coca-Cola. Not the, I'm assuming so. <laughs> It's the all-you-can-snort resort. Is that I, what you're talking I, I, about? Pretty much. I, <laughs> oh. it, it, but it just blew me away how it was just there. So I spent 20 bucks on conch shell instead. Also, if you're going to start guy. using Coke, I don't recommend you start using Jamaican Coke, maybe. Let's just don't use it, right? Except if, unless it's Coca-Cola. But you're a Dr. Pepper guy, so that wouldn't make sense for you. Yeah, Dr. Pepper. Speaking Probably. of doctors, should we roll into Dr. Evans? Sure. Dr. Evans. Dr. Evans, we have a segment called New and Good. What's new and good in your life? Oh, man. A uh, lot going on in my life. Um, we just moved. Actually moved from the house that we're in directly across the street, which is a really weird move. Yeah. So it's basically cool, wheelbarrowing things kids? across the street. Um, <laughs> no, we're empty nesters now. Oh, okay. So, um, so it's good th- for kids. It's a good move for kids because they get to keep their same friends. Yeah. Same school no. district. But Yeah, great neighborhood. So we wanted to stay in the neighborhood, but we wanted a different place. So we moved across the street. And uh, so we're nearing the end of that. Uh, we just got back from a week in Mexico. It wasn't Jamaica, and uh, I only got offered uh, drugs once, so I feel kind of left out. <laughs> but uh, plenty of cervezas and uh, cocoa on ice. So, well, and you're like, listen, I'm a doctor in the United States of America. I don't need your guys' well, petty well, Mexican drugs, right? Well, I prescribe real, legitimate prescriptions to people. Wait, we have. I feel a, like we're kind of glorifying. We here. Really? Are we glorifying? Uh, maybe a little bit, and let's okay. not do that anymore. But. We haven't really introduced Dr. Evans yet, which we will do in just a second, but he's a trained anesthesiologist. If anybody has access to drugs, it's Dr. Evans. I see people <laughs> they on carry, drugs all day they long. They carry around boxes of the stuff that people would, that some people would almost kill for. True. Right? Yeah, that is true. Big lockbox full of stuff that's... And you were you were giving him compliments like to be an anesthesiologist you got to be a pretty smart dude like oh, that's a pretty are, competitive field to get in yeah it's a good um, don't ask me this I don't know why I'm saying this it it's a it's a difficult and um, competitive field to get into for sure you have to have done well in med school and uh, apparently he did yes yes I did the, li- <laughs> the lifestyle right it's a lifestyle job well, part as of it far is as physicians go. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's kind of like an emergency room doctor yeah. where you can control your hours a little bit better. But uh, it didn't turn out like that for me. That was something I thought might be a great benefit. And then I moved to St. George. This was home for me, so I moved here about twenty five years ago, I guess it's been. And this little community just really didn't have hardly anything. They mm. didn't have a heart service. They didn't have a neuro service. Um, I was telling you, the OB doctors were doing their own epidurals here when I moved here. And so there were, the anesthesiologists weren't doing the epidurals, so they didn't have an epidural service. So it turned out that uh, there was a lot of work to be done. And I, for some reason, thought that I was the guy to do it. So it turned out to be a lot of uh, a lot more work instead of just, you know, nine to five golfing kind of thing. It didn't turn out to be like that. Yeah. yeah. We're going to get into a lot more than that. We're going to officially introduce right. him and get a little bit more on that. Sure. What about you, Doc? Dr. Sellers. New and good. Uh, We're having a Halloween party. First of all, I'm going to your (laughs) Halloween party tonight. Here we go. But 
my wife and I are having one Sunday night at our house. That'll be fun. Um, is there anything else? Going I thought you were talking about my Halloween party because no. you know, obviously, it's well, all I'm about going me. to yours. And I said that you could. You said you didn't have an outfit. I told you you could just show up as Doctor Sellers. That was well, scary I, enough. You know what I think? <laughs> you might get the most scary <laughs> outfit tonight. Thanks. We're all voting. I was thinking about showing up as John Daly. You probably don't know who John Daly no, is, but he had cool pants. He's a golfer that wears the same. Like he invented all the clothes I wear. Basically. Oh, okay. Um, but anyway, uh, so my wife and I are having a party. It's going to be fun. We've got a whole bunch of we. We've had. 40 years of Halloween decorations as our favorite holiday. So our house looks amazing and it's going to be fun. Nice. That's my deal. Nice. That's all I got. It's exciting. And I went to Vegas two yeah. weeks ago. Yeah. I don't think I've done a podcast since I actually went to Vegas. That's right. We had the greatest hotel room ever, but it was I fun. I saw pictures. It looked, then, I was envious. And then my football team played like crap. So <laughs> <laughs> it was terrible. But anyway, how about so, you? Mine even good in your life. Oh baby, check out what I got for us. So what do you got? in in the celebration of 100, what? I got us some what do you call this? Sparkling cider for everybody. Yeah. Dr. Evans knew the official name. It's what is uh, it? Martinelli's. Martinelli's. Yeah, Martinelli's. Everybody knows it's called Martinelli's. You don't know that? Boom. I don't I don't drink oh. this stuff really. I don't try to do sugar and it's got a lot of sugar oh, in it, but yeah, you know what? We hit 100, so we're going to pour us all some Martinelli's. Hey, congratulations, everybody. Martinelli's is officially approved by AA, by the way. That's right. Dr. Evans, you first, <laughs> oh, since thank you're you. our guest. Congratulations on 100 episodes. I feel honored to be invited on your 100th episode. That's yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's fun to be a, the guest on 100 because you get a uh, like a free automobile, I think, is our prize when you go Sweet. Home. When Dr. Sellers hit 19 years clean, we did cupcakes, and we all ate cupcakes. I'm sure the listeners loved the sound of us eating cupcakes on that episode. <laughs> um, but listen, it's been great, Doc. I remember when I first called you and said, hey, man, let's do a podcast. And for a, a small guy like me, uh, you know, to, to call Dr. Terry Sellers to have him come on as a co-host, I just appreciate you saying yes. It's been a fun ride. Here's to 100, everybody. Celebrate. Here's to you guys. Woo! Thank you, listeners. Listen, the other day I was checking out the statistics on this. We're at 17,000 downloads. New York, I mean, it's all over the place. And I just want to express my gratitude on this 100th episode to our listeners. Thank you for sharing it with your friends. Thank you for sharing it within the recovery community. Listen, I don't care if you're AA. I don't care if you're NA. I don't care if you're CA. We are all we got. Let's be good to each other. Thank you guys for 100 episodes. Thank you. Yeah. That's beautiful. We do have, we've had, I'll tell you that the, I'm still having a lot of fun on this podcast. I don't know about you. I'm sure you are, but it, you know, I, there's some difficulties. We, uh, getting guests can be difficult on occasion because, uh, sorry, I'll talk into my microphone. I got to look from my director saying, hey, <laughs> stop looking at Jared. Uh, it, it's been hard to get guests because essentially finding guests that are friends of mine that live two hours, four hours away, sorry, and getting them to come down is a little more difficult. So most of the guests have been on you trying to find them. And that part gets a little old trying to find the guests. But the guests we've had have been amazing. And lately had I've had so many guests. people reaching out that I can't oh, schedule good. them quick enough. Good. Yeah, it's been good. Great. That's good because I get worried about like the most of the most of that burden falls on your shoulder. So yeah. I'm super excited. But we've had some fun guests. We've had some really fun guests. On Absolutely. Podcast. So. Here's to another hundred. There we go. Let's get after it. I'm still doing it. We got Dr. Eric Evans let's in studio today. Let's talk to Dr. Eric Evans. Um, we usually start out, so uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the podcast, but we typically will have guests that are in recovery, 
and we have them tell their stories. And the 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 original um, the original goal of the podcast was really just to show people that had been successful in recovery. Um, but the first when we start out, we just have people introduce themselves. So tell us who you are. Well, I grew up here in southern Utah, so this is home for me. My father, Arza Evans, taught at Dixie College here. He taught in the economics department. Uh, lots of people that I see in the community know him. Um, came back after going to the University of Utah uh, for medical school and then uh, out to North Carolina for my residency. And um, it's been great to be here for the last 25 years, watching the community grow, helping Dixie Regional Medical Center grow, helping get the like I mentioned, the OB uh, service off the ground, helping to get the heart service off the ground, uh, introduction of neuro. I served as the chairman of the Department of Anesthesia for Dixie uh, Regional for a few years, um, helped our group. Uh, so we, our group has grown tremendously. I started the first, uh, for the hospital's first acute pain, or excuse me, chronic pain service here. Um, dealing with people with chronic pain. And my whole goal there was mainly a lot of doctors would send patients over to me that because they knew my goal was to get them off of narcotics. Right. Mm. And so I was doing whatever I could do to get them off of narcotics. And I ran that for the hospital for, I want to say it was, it was almost 12 years until they needed the heart service. Uh, and so I decided to step away from that and, uh, you know, head up the, be on the member of the team of the heart service. But um, so that was a that was kind of my first introduction, I guess, into this discussion, which would be on people that were addicted to a substance, people that were struggling with depression, anxiety, chronic pain, mood disorders. And uh, but mainly I was dealing with people, uh, a lot of people addicted to narcotics. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. So, uh, um, so that's been it. And we raised our kids here. We've had three kids, uh, my oldest, Chase, my second, Braden, my daughter, Erica. They're, they're grown and out of the house now. Uh, my wife, Shannon, is a nurse as well, and she works with me over in the clinic. She helped me start the ketamine clinic that we run. Way cool. uh, we actually just had her two-year uh, anniversary of her business as well. She runs an aesthetics practice and has... Uh, lasers and all those kind of things that we just had that anniversary day was on the radio and everything. So that is there, was, is that there was hope fun. for sellers? No. Can we get him set up? With we can turn back the clock there's a little bit. A, no, get some lasers not, in here. Not enough <laughs> lasers on the planet. To help we do me. do vaginal rejuvenation. And I don't know if that's something he needs or not, but, uh, but oh, that is I like available. this guy. This guy's welcome yeah. back anytime. Yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, I used to do that. So that's yeah, right. it's, it's been a great, uh, run. And then, um, I guess what took me to this ketamine clinic, it, it was about four years ago. My brother suffers with some depression, and he called me up and said, hey, what do you know about ketamine and depression? And I really didn't know a lot about it. I use ketamine all the time in my practice and kind of shocked me that there was a different use for it. So I started looking into it and just was blown away by some of the evidence that, that this was an amazing treatment for people with, with not only depression but other things. And uh, so we traveled around the country looking at other ketamine clinics and ended up trying to uh, establish a ketamine clinic here in southern Utah. Um, and that's been kind of my history of my career is just trying to start new things. Like I mentioned, the epidural service, the heart service, trying to, uh, our, you know, our group was a bunch of individual doctors when I got here and joining it into a group and joining a bigger group out of uh, Salt Lake. So I love starting new things, taking on new challenges, and this just seemed like such a cool thing to bring to Southern Utah and that could help, hopefully, people change their lives. 
Well, you've so, been around for three years, so obviously you're having some success. Yeah, it's been a really uh, amazing run so far, and the community seems to be really embracing it. Doctors are referring people over. They're seeing the success that we're having. And uh, so it, it seems to be, um, while it was a little difficult to get off the ground initially, it really seems to just be blossoming, and people are seeing the results. And I think that's what really sells it is this is the real deal. It works. Mm. So um, thanks. You answered my first question. I haven't even asked it yet. My first question really was going to be how how'd you get interested, but you sort of told us about who was it? Your brother? Your brother? Yeah, my brother called your me. Brother. In fact, I was in the opera room. He called me and asked me about it, and so I said, "Don't do it until I can get my hand my mind around this. You know, hold off a little bit." The first place he went to was a ketamine clinic that was kind of in a strip mall, and he says, "Man, the guy had stains on his shirt. It mm. didn't. I did. It didn't get a good feel, and he kind of went running with his tail between his legs." And I said, well, don't, that doesn't sound right. You know, hold off for a little bit. And then the more I started looking at it and studying it, I was like, okay, you just happened on one of the, the bad ketamine places. There's right. amazing right. ketamine places. And this is an, this is the real deal. Let's get you, you know, let's do that. And so, um, that's what kind of got my interest in it. And then, um, like I said, going to other ketamine clinics, uh, went over to Denver, spent some time over there, um, and seeing the results that they're having and, and the, um, the enjoyment that the anesthesiologist that was running that clinic was having uh, in it, it was just really fulfilling for him to help other people to change their lives. And it was a real, um, just a different, normally in anesthesia, epidurals are probably the thing that comes the closest where you get to see someone being really happy with the new baby and feeling comfortable. But um, most of the time our patients are out. And so this was a great way to hopefully, uh, you know, have better interaction with patients and try to help them. Yeah, sure. that's what I loved about the pain clinic too. So, so you opened three years ago, three years right? ago. Mm-hmm. So I, was, I, I have done some research on ketamine for a talk I gave a little while back, and five years ago there were fifty-one ketamine clinics in the United States of America, mm. and there is over five hundred today. There's more than fifty in the state of Utah right now, which is uh, amazing growth, right? It is. I mean, what does that mean? Well, first of all, sometimes that means you might get a guy with sweat st- with a stained shirt and in a strip mall, right? But the other thing it says to me is it must be doing something. So, what what are you tell us the kinds of patients you treat and what kind of that sort of stuff? What's what's an ideal patient? Well, the the most common thing that I see in my clinic is depression, uh, major depressive disorder, and anxiety. Those are the two biggest things that I see. Uh, I see also patients that have PTSD, um, have patients that come in with chronic pain as well. I wish I would have had ketamine back when I was running that chronic pain clinic because it's a pretty amazing medication for that. And I, I knew back then when I was treating those patients that if you could boost their mood, take their anxiety down, they would rate their pain as less just uh, separately from their pain issue. Um, so that was part of my deal to get them off of their narcotics was to maximize their mental health and try to work on that as well. Um, but for the most part, my patients are mainly depression, uh, anxiety, PTSD. Um, and then, you know, the reason that I'm sitting at this table, it kind of came as a little bit of a surprise to me, the addiction issues where ketamine has been so helpful in that. Uh, that wasn't even on my radar screen, to be honest with you. When I started this clinic, it was mainly for people with depression and anxiety and mental health issues. Uh, but I kept seeing it over and over again in, in my practice when patients would come in and they were struggling and they were self-medicating 
whether it be alcohol, cannabis, whatever they were doing. Um, and I wouldn't tell them to stop doing that, but I'd start these ketamine treatments and start working on their mental health. And they'd be coming back and telling me, doc, I can't believe it. I'm hardly using alcohol at all or at all. Um, Hey Mm. doc, I've quit using cannabis or, Hey, I've quit using cocaine. And, um, and sometimes they didn't even tell me that they were on cocaine when they first came into the clinic or even tell me they were on cannabis, but that they'll, they'd come back, you know, four, three, four weeks into the treatments and tell me it's amazing how that drive has just disappeared for me or disappearing for me. And it really started to key me in. Hey, there's something else here too that I, that I didn't really in initially go into this for, but it seems to be a pretty amazing thing. So this is a pretty just. I know that I'm the only one sitting around this table that doesn't have an MD behind my name, and I'm loving it so far. Let's dumb it down for the listener, though. Let's bring it to a Jared Miller level. So ketamine is a. This is a progressive conversation, right? Because like Clearly. five or ten years yeah. ago, people would be saying you're a recovery podcast talking about ketamine. I mean, that's. I think that's a valid point. So, I, think, I think what we ought to do is assume that no one watching this podcast knows anything, anything about ketamine about or anything right. about it and right. kind of take it from that standpoint. Uh, Dr. Sellers, do you want me to launch into that a little no, bit? No, launch away. Yeah, okay. for sure. You're so, the guest. This is your show. Okay. So ketamine um, it was has been around for almost 50 years. It's not a new medication. And um, in the 1960s, it kind of came into its own. 1970, it got FDA approval for anesthesia services. And it's what we call a dissociative anesthetic. And so when you give it to a patient, it works on a particular area of the brain. Well, it does a variety of things, but it dissociates your consciousness, which is pretty much resides in the front part of your brain, that prefrontal cortex area. Okay. And so what ketamine is doing is your, your consciousness kind of dissociates and goes somewhere else. And then we can do in medicine really painful things to people. Like we can do C-sections just on ketamine and patients are breathing on their own still. We can do uh, sew kids up. We can do set bones um, in the military. That's where it really started to get its um, its uh, use was on the battlefield. If you gave a patient morphine or narcotics, it would stop them from breathing if you're trying to take their pain down. Ketamine ma- maintains your respiratory rate, maintains uh, your blood pressure, whereas the narcotics tend to suppress your blood pressure, suppress your breathing. And so it really re- rapidly became um, a, an amazing medication for anesthesia services. And uh, like I mentioned, for the last 30 years that I've been in, uh, doing anesthesia, um, I use it almost every day. It's a, it's a component of, of what we do as a cocktail of things. So this, this, let me ask you a question on that before you get away. This is maybe, maybe this isn't the dumbed down version, but this is for me. Maybe it is the dumbed down version. Um, are you using ketamine in your day to day anesthesia as a way to reduce the amount of opiates you're using? Yeah, that, that's been a more recent, uh, happening because we, there, there was something that really happened in medicine that was kind of detrimental. They put pain as one of the vital signs. The fifth, mm. the fifth vital yeah, sign. Yes. So you throw this pain thing in there and then doctors were being rated on, well, how well are they treating your pain? And so we went overboard trying to make sure that people were giving us good ratings on their pain. And so, you know, narcotics were being handed out right and left. You got a minor operation, you'd get 30 days worth of narcotics afterwards. And um, ketamine, it turns out, really reduces the amount of narcotics that you have to take after an operation. We used to think that ketamine is a very short-acting drug as far as the pain-relieving substance while we're giving it. That's one of the other reasons we like it in anesthesia. When you give it to a patient, they'll wake up at the end of the operation. 
so, um, so when, when we're giving it in these days, it's mainly for narcotic sparing effects. We give it, patients will use less narcotics following a, a total knee operation, hip operation, or whatever you're doing. And so um, it also helps reduce other anesthetics that you're having to use during the procedure. So it's a painkiller, then it's also a long-lasting painkiller, uh, and it has a variety of mechanisms that it does that. Um, that's pretty amazing. I, I love that. And that's why it's coming on this recovery podcast. We got about 45 seconds here in this first segment. Listen, we're going to get right back into it in part two of episode 100. I can tell there's a lot of knowledge to go around and it's just getting interesting. So stick yeah. with us, Dr. Sellers, the last 30 seconds, anything you want to add on to, to no, that? I think this has been super interesting so far. And I think that uh, it may it may well continue to have uses and applications. But one of the things I wanted to point out before we get to the end of this is you mentioned PTSD. We have almost no other pharmacological treatments for PTSD. We have basically nothing other than therapy, which takes years. So it's been revolutionary in that field, I think. I think so, too. Anyway. Medication-assisted therapy. Yeah. yeah, let's jump right back into that. Yep. All right, we are closing out episode 100, part one. You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller, sponsored by Steps Recovery Center and the Hilton Garden Inn. I'm Desmond Lomax, one of the clinical executives here at Steps Recovery. And once you become of the Steps family, you're just a part of the Steps family. A lot of us have overcome substances, overcome addiction, and now we're able to help other people. Second of all, we're also gonna help you in a way where you can afford to be helped. Third of all, we're gonna give you the same quality that many organizations are charging two to three times. And it's more about you than it is about our organization. We welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Part two of episode 100. 100. Three, three digits, one, zero, zero. Uh, we have Dr. Eric Evans in the house, and he has been schooling us on uh, ketamine. So we're going to get back to that. But before we do, part two is brought, is brought to you by the Hilton Garden Inn. The Hilton Garden Inn is located here in beautiful St. George. There's actually Hilton Garden Inns in a lot of places. But uh, I come down and stay at the Hilton Garden Inn quite a bit, and it's really, really nice. But Hilton Garden Inn has beautiful amenities. The rooms are lovely and clean. The beds are soft, and the pool is amazing, as is the hot tub, particularly in the rain. Yes. Yeah. And I just want to say, too, listen, if you've heard what you've heard so far from Dr. Eric Evans and you're interested and you're in the southern Utah area, go to DesertSandsKetamine.com and check out their website. Uh, he, he does this full time, right? You guys are open Monday through. What are the hours? Well, you might be surprised. You said the southern Utah area. We've got people coming from L.A. We've got people coming from Vegas. We've got people that have come down from Washington State, flying from New York. We've got people from all over that come to our clinic one for the um, price point because our price point, I've tried to set it at this community where we can actually help people. And right. if you go to LA or Vegas, it's it's a much different price point. But two, I think it's because of our um, our 
response rate is incredibly high. We, the way we're doing ketamine, the way our, our protocols go, the way we're running our clinic, the, the clientele that we're seeing is, is just really thrilled. And so the word spreads. And we're going to jump back into the topic of ketamine. I just want to say, listen, if you've tried SSRIs, if you're still struggling with some PTSD and some depression and some of that stuff, go check them out. DesertSandsKetamine.com. You know, do some research. Hopefully after you listen to this episode, you'll have a little bit more knowledge. And I'm always open to, you know, you got to find what works. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's, could, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you mentioned the SSRIs, and I think that might be a good jumping point for people that are listening to this that don't know what ketamine is, because they might be thinking, well, what's the difference between ketamine and the normal way that you treat depression or normal way you treat things? Absolutely. And, um, you know, for a long time, there was this this idea that, that depression was um, a problem with the serotonin system, the mono, what they call it, the monoamine system. And so all of these drugs that we've been prescribing for people, and it kind of makes sense. It's like, okay, well, if you're depressed, let's give you some sort of excitatory neurochemical that alters the chemistry of your brain. And the ones that, that were the most known at that point were serotonin, norepinephrine, dopamine, those kind of chemicals. And so if we give patients drugs to boost those, well, hopefully they'll feel more energetic less depressed. Um, and that, that makes sense. It wasn't even until like the 1980s that we realized that, the, that there's a whole nother system called the glutamate system in the brain. And it actually is almost 80% of the receptors of the brain, although synapses where the two neurons are going together, that that glutamate uh, is the most abundant um, neurotransmitter in the, in the brain, the most abundant excitatory neurotransmitter in the brain. Well, that's the system that ketamine works on. So it's working in a completely different way than boosting your serotonin levels or boosting your dopamine levels or boosting your norepinephrine levels. And in my opinion, the problem with some of those is, of course, that it does it indiscriminately. If you're going to just boost people's serotonin levels, well, people can have problems with that. They can have erectile dysfunction or they can have lack of libido or women can have weight gain and all kinds of side effects. Um, I'm just not seeing side effects in my clinic. And that's one thing that I love about this particular medicine. It's a very short-acting medicine. There's a little loading phase to it. Once you get people feeling good, you can keep them feeling good pretty easily uh, with a maintenance-type uh, regimen. But in between those treatments, you're not taking something every day. You're not changing your biochemistry every day. You're not mm. changing the brain chemistry every day. And so what, what ketamine is, you asked earlier, well, what is it? Um, it is a medicine that, that is, blocks these receptors in the brain that that glutamine, glutamate system works on. They're called NMDA receptors. So it's an NMDA receptor antagonist, which is just a big word, meaning it, it kind of pushes those down. It's a goalie. It's then, a goalkeeper. Right. And yeah. then in response to that, because if you think about it like your car, you've got this big engine in your car and it's got 400 horsepower and you've got the accelerator on that, that's glutamate. It's this excitatory engine for your brain. And even if you're driving your car though, and you've got it floored, you can reach over and hit your brake pedal and decelerate that huge, huge engine with just these four brakes that you've got. That's the other, some of these other neurotransmitters like GABA, that's uh, that GABA-aminobutyric acid. That is like the break. That's the calm down. And so you've got this big excitatory uh, system going on in the brain that almost 80% of the neuronal connections have this glutamate uh, reaction taking place. And then ketamine comes in there and says, 
we're going to block the receptor that ketamine or that glutamate works on, and it blocks it. Well, what happens in response is that your body, your brain upregulates that glutamate uh, temporarily, and so you get a boost of this glutamine. Well, what we're finding is that that does an amazing number of things in the brain, uh, unlike the traditional 50-year-old type of monoamine type things like serotonin boosters or norepinephrine boosters. Those can take six weeks to kick in, and so someone comes into your office and they're feeling depressed and suicidal, six weeks might be a death sentence for them. Yeah. This is almost, for most patients, it's a fairly immediate reaction that they're getting. They boost that glutamate up, and man, they start feeling better. They start feeling different. Um, and then there's all kinds of different things that, that that is also doing in your brain. And I don't want to get too technical here uh, for people that are just trying to figure out what this is, but that's the simplistic, that, that's the simple an explanation as I can give it is that when you give patients ketamine, it's a rapid onset. You feel a little bit of a psychedelic experience for about 40 minutes in our clinic, a little bit of a dreamlike state, um, and then we shut that infusion off and you come back because it's metabolized out of your system very rapidly. Um, and, and then what happens in between that is we give you about two to three days to let that do its magic. Mm. Uh, even though you don't feel that psychedelic effect anymore, um, there's some long-lasting things that are happening. It's boosting this factor in your brain called brain-derived neurotrophic factor. It's doing uh, increasing the connections between your prefrontal cortex and the area of your brain that deals with mood and emotion called the amygdala. So it's doing a lot of complex things. Um, but the bottom line is a little bit of a loading phase. You feel a little psychedelic for uh, about an hour. And then the benefits of that tend to be pretty amazing for, in our clinic, about 85% of our patients, depending on what we're treating, 85 to 90% of our patients will see a really dramatic difference. You have me no side effects. So I got, um, I have a couple of questions. Um, the first is, uh, I have a, about a thousand questions going in my brain right now, <laughs> but the uh, first one is explain to us what it is that you say a little bit of a psychedelic experience. What are patients reporting to you that they feel like during the infusion, or you know, as the as it starts to set in? What are what are what are patients reporting to you? Well, that's a great question, and that's the difference between going to someone that is good at this and someone that maybe just decided yesterday that they're going to open a ketamine clinic. That is the sweet spot because ketamine is very dose dependent for people, and people can be sensitive to it. They can be insensitive to it. Um, and getting that dose right and having a patient have a good experience is key in my mind. I hate hearing that some patient has gone to a ketamine clinic, they had a bad experience, had a bad trip, if you will, and they've written ketamine off when it might have been life-changing for them. Mm. So it is a dose-dependent thing, so it, getting the dose right is really key, and there's quite a few things that we watch for for that. But what patients tell me that, they're, that they experience during that hour long time period is they'll first start to feel very relaxed. Then they'll start to feel like the 4K TVs that we have on in the room start to turn into 10K TVs. And it's very vivid. We have nature scenes uh, on the TVs that are really vibrant and beautiful. Um, and they set your mind in a good tone for uh, being in a positive state, a state of beauty. Um, and so the inputs that start coming into your brain um, are different. 
your hearing changes to where the music that you're listening to sounds much more complex and more beautiful. You'll, you'll feel like you're um, having a little bit of a dreamlike state. That's the, what we want. We do not need someone to be a dolphin for 45 minutes and hallucinating like they're on an acid trip. That's not what we need to get this to work. We also don't want them in a state of, um, and I hate to use that word at the table here, but sobriety, that's not a good treatment either, having that linear, logical conversation. Having a state of dissociation during the treatment is a key. It seems to be a key in all of the psychedelics when I'm looking at the literature for that, whether you're talking about psilocybin's and psilocybin therapy, ketamine therapy, um, that state of dissociation, some of the, that's some of the most exciting things that are coming out in psychiatry for a long time is that that state of dissociation looks like it's key where it, it tells your brain that um, the way that it's been doing things, the way that it sees things, that rut that people might come into you guys and say, I just feel like I'm in a rut. I can't get out of this rut. And addiction behavior is certainly a rut that people are in. Sure. Um, when you when you increase their neuroplasticity of the brain with these psychedelics, whether you're talking about psilocybin's or ketamine, that changes the synapses in the in that prefrontal cortex so that it's more open <coughs> to new connections and new, new, open to new ways of thinking, open to new patterns of connections in those in those brain cells. Uh, it also, now that we've got these magnetic resonance spectroscopy exams where we can actually look at chemical reactions going on in the brain, it's pretty amazing to see when you start giving patients ketamine, they actually start having an increase in connections between the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala, which is the area of the brain that deals with mood and emotion. And a very simplistic way of thinking about that might be our prefrontal cortex is, is where our consciousness resides. And if we, if through addiction behavior, through substance abuse behavior, through chronic stress, through chronic depression, those kind of things, those connections are suppressed and decreased. When we start giving patients ketamine and that starts to increase, instead of emotions driving our consciousness, our consciousness can act like a better gatekeeper of those emotions and say, no, I have all the reasons to be happy. I'm going to reject that feeling of depression and mm. have the power to do it. Um, so that's a, that's a simplistic way of looking at it. But I love the idea that there's more connections happening between that area of the brain that deals with your mood and emotion and your consciousness. And Doc, like... You it's all in what is your intention, right? So he's talking from a therapeutical perspective. This is a whole protocol. It's monitored. It's in a therapeutic environment in your guys' office, right? What's the difference between that and somebody going and buying ketamine on the street and getting loaded? Well, there's a bunch of differences, but um, I think uh, I, I want to address something that I think we'll okay. tie right into that in just a second. But when I hear somebody come to me that says they've had a bad ketamine experience, you mentioned, first of all, dosing. Uh, is an issue. So there's there's your deal, right? The guy on the street getting ketamine has no idea what he's doing with dosing, and right. just, they use as or much even as, if it's ketamine at all, right? Good it might point. Be, might Valid. be PCP, right? Yeah. Right. It exactly. Might be something else. Um, but the other thing that I that I think about is the sort of environment and preparation, right? When I see somebody that's had a bad ketamine experience, sometimes it's somebody who's never had sort of a psychedelic experience before, doesn't know what to expect, and nobody told them exactly how they were going to feel, and it freaked them out. Absolutely. And they just get scared, and they're like, I don't like that, I hate that. Yeah, a, a, a feeling out of control, feeling out of your body a little bit, 
can be scary for somebody who's not prepared for that. So no question about I it. I think providing and it, an environment and a little education ahead of time really would lessen that quite a bit. No question. We purpose-built our facility. We did a big remodel during uh, COVID, and uh, we purpose-built that area in our ketamine clinic to be conducive to people having a good ketamine experience. There's some real factors that when I looked around the country, you know, well, what is it that I can take the best of these clinics and, and bring here? Mm. And there, you're absolutely right. The environment, the place that you do ketamine, the people that you're doing ketamine with, that's a big, big deal. Um, so if you're, you know, if you're just randomly putting your finger down the down the phone book, it, well, I guess people don't use phone books anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> you and I know what a phone book yes. is. Jared's never seen a phone book before. No idea. So that, that environment is key. Preparation is key. Uh, patient selection is a, is a big deal as well. Um, and patients that have anxiety, well, of course, they are going to be anxious because they have anxiety problems, and that's part of their right. diagnosis right. that you're treating. Um, and how you handle those patients and how you do that, um, and it's, it's a matter of easing them into that uh, process. We start off on the same dose that Yale University was kind of the big beginner of this whole thing. They, they're the, the ones that started this all off. And um, they did six infusions in a study, two the first week, two the second week, and two the third week. And they got about a 70% success rate in that. They chose a dose that was a half a milligram per kilo of ketamine, and they did it all the way through their all six infusions. They didn't care how... Um, dissociated did somebody get? How sensitive were they to this? That's just, they just use that dose. We find that's why I think we get a better success rate is having someone that is really good at getting patients where that sweet spot is is important. And there isn't a one dose fits all at all. If you if you were to look through my charts, it's like man, it's all over the the place of where people hit that beautiful spot. So it's really individualized. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the things that you mentioned that I think is critical in this podcast uh, is that I was super worried about, wow, am I going to do short-term good but long-term evil in mm -hmm. this situation? I'm sure all doctors ask that question. Well, with because this stuff. I'd seen it, you know, and running that acute pain clinic and that chronic pain clinic for almost 12 years, I could see people that had initially had a pain problem and a physician was trying to help them. And they ended up down the line with both a pain problem and a narcotic problem. Mm. And so, yes, they had short-term relief, but through as time went on, they really got into trouble with their narcotic use. So that was forefront in my mind of I don't want to bring something to patients that, yes, it helps with their depression, it helps with what I'm trying to treat, but then creates a whole nother set of problems for them and for myself and for their families and everything. And I, you know, I've just been so pleasantly surprised. And that's one of the reasons that I traveled around the country to talk to people that have done like 10,000 infusions. What's your experience? Are you, are people getting addicted in other words? Cause that's a common question that I get when I'm doing our free consults with people is, am I going to get addicted to this new medicine or people that have had substance abuse issues and have been through AA or have now sober for X amount of years or whatever it may be is this going to be a new problem for me? Is this going to trigger me? Is this going to sure. send me back into those things? Sure. And so that was, uh, that's why it took me a year and a half to open this because I didn't, as wonderful as it was sounding, I didn't want to cause people first do no harm kind of thing is what I, uh, try to ascribe to. So, 
And I've just been so amazingly surprised at how it's better than I ever thought as far as not causing addiction problems for people. It, uh, for people that, uh, that have struggled with substance abuse issues, um, it actually tends to have them have that, that urge just disappear. Um, so the point that I have to that, and then I'm going to let sellers take back over is if I would have taken my opiate medication, the way the doctor prescribed it, I probably wouldn't have gotten addicted to it. Right. Like for me anyways, I, I never blame the doctor. We talked about this when we did my eight years clean, right? Like, um, yeah, a, a big key is following it as prescribed. We get in trouble typically when we become the doctor of ourselves and tell us that we need more or need to take it sooner. Right, Doc? I mean, um, sure. <clears throat> Except um, I'll just argue with you on that one point real quick. Okay. I, I think doctors have some blame in the opiate crisis. Not, not for sure, not the whole blame, but doctors have some blame in that. And that's not all doctors necessarily, but there for sure are people out there that were really generous with their prescription. That's fair. Anyway. Yeah. Good point. I was just trying to say like, you know, take it as prescribed. So I've seen, I'm sure you've seen it. I've seen a few, not very many people actually addicted to ketamine. It's not common. Uh, There's not a giant source out there. Like your drug dealer doesn't have ketamine most of the time. He's got cocaine, he's got heroin, and he's got... There's not a giant source for ketamine. It's harder to get on the streets for sure. But I've seen a couple of people that like have ordered it off the dark web or whatever. And that's... um, Now, we approach this a little differently, partly because of our patient populations, I think. So I'm board certified in addiction medicine. I see mostly addicts, right? That's what I see. Now, Lots of addicts have lots of mental health issues. Lots of addicts are depressed. Lots of, and sometimes they're using their drug of choice to treat their depression, for sure. Um, that's my one, That's one of my few exclusionary criteria for who I won't treat is an addict who comes to me and says, I need ketamine. Now, if he comes to me and starts talking about PTSD, or if he comes to me and starts talking about depression... And then I decide he's got ketamine. Now, that's a different story. Like, I've used it in addicts a bunch. But the guy that walks in and says, I need ketamine, scares me because of who my population is. That makes right? sense. Right? I, don't, I won't treat Is the fear that they're that, drug-seeking? Is that the yes. fear? It's kind of like yes, you somebody can, coming some to of these people, Some of my of, people are coming in looking just to right. get the high out of the... Like, well, you may not the, have nearly the, as many people like that because of the nature of your population. Well, how do you handle... Um, you know, Google is so pervasive. And when you Google, I've got a, um, well, let's just take narcotics, for example. I've got a narcotic addiction that comes up with, you know, naloxone, ketamine. I mean, those, these patients are trying to educate themselves and they're coming in saying, Hey, you know, I think ketamine's the answer for me. Or they've got, you know, their uncle that, that got off of heroin using ketamine and some therapy. Um, so, I, I get a lot of patients. Well, all of my patients are contacting me for ketamine. Yeah, so your I guess patients a, are already self-selected, yeah, right? For sure, mine aren't. And and I find out sometimes after the fact that they were that they were because sometimes believe it or not, addicts don't tell you the truth. Oh wow, <laughs> that's that's <laughs> wait, a shocker. Wait, what? <laughs> I know. So sometimes I'll find out after the fact, and they'll tell me two weeks into treatment, three weeks into treatment. Um, hey, I I just I haven't been using cannabis anymore, or I haven't been using my narcotics, or um, hey, I was able to get off of my um, whatever alcohol, and uh, so you know sometimes I get that, 
a lot of times though, patients are completely honest with me that then they'll tell me, I think I'm self-medicating because I'm just anxiety ridden or I'm just depressed or, or I'll tease that out as we go along. But, um, there's so much overlap and comorbidity there that it's hard to, um, in my mind, I can see why that's your tact. I can see that. But on the flip side, ketamine, in my opinion, seems to be so good for people with alcohol. Um, some of the recent studies coming out, and I don't think that I think we're going to get it dialed in better. Um, but there, you know, when you look at uh, six months uh, sobriety, 12, 24 months sobriety, some of these ketamine studies are looking pretty amazing for keeping people sober. Um, and and they were only doing it with like three ketamine treatments and then waiting for six months and seeing if these people were still sober with some sort of uh, program after that. Well, that's not the way we do it. We don't just give people three treatments and then we'll say, well, good luck. We'll see you in six months. I mean, we continue to see them on a monthly basis. And I think that that monthly to six weeks to eight weeks ketamine treatment helps them maintain uh, their sense of well-being. And, and uh, it's also doing some interesting things we're finding out in the dopamine receptors, which is so key in addiction that you're involved in. Sure. Um, so so let me ask you this. We're, all, we're close to out of time, but what is a like a typical regimen look like for you? And then how are you doing it? Are you doing it intravenously or are you doing it? I think the only way to do it is intravenously. Oh, I'm doing it intranasally. Well, I, th there's some reasons why I say that when you squirt something up someone's nose and it gets absorbed into their bloodstream, they're on for whatever ride they're going to get. There's no getting it out. No question. Um, there are studies where you give people Lamotrigine to, to try to counteract if something's gone bad, but why do you want to have something go bad? I guess that's, I'm so used to giving titrations and have uh, computerized pumps that that's what I do all the time, all day. So for me, I can see why psychiatrists, other people that don't want to have to start IVs, don't want to right. have to worry about computer infusion mm -hmm. pumps, don't want right. to have to. But for me, if I'm having a patient that I'm finding, wow, you're really sensitive to this, or they're starting to get really anxiety ridden, or they're not comfortable, I can turn off that infusion and within 60 seconds, their blood level is coming down and I can restart it at a better level. Mm -hmm. I just feel like I have such better tight control over Love it. That. If you give IM injection or you give an intranasal injection, um, wow, you're, you're just on for whatever ride you're going to get. And most of the time when patients contact us and say, I had a bad ketamine treatment, I'll say, I'll bet you got a shot in your arm or they squirted it up your nose. And almost always that's the case. So um, the other issue for me is um, I can't titrate it to the upside, not just that they're having a bad time, but if I'm squirting things up their nose, I'm not able to titrate it to the upside and get them in that sweet spot, which is so key. So for me, I think IV is the only way to do it. And uh, okay, we're down to a minute. What's like? How long do you treat people? What's the normal? We make people four appointments rather than the six that Yale did in their study. We bring them in and do uh, two the first week, two the second week. Then we make an analysis on how they're doing. Some patients are ready to be tipped out into the maintenance stage at that point, which is typically once a month, once every six weeks, once every two months. Uh, other patients go on to get all six because maybe they're 70, 80 percent better, but we're not quite there yet. Um, so it just depends on that. Beautiful. We're about out of time, man. This has been interesting. What a great uh, topic this has been. We could go for a whole nother show. Well, I'd but, be happy to do that. I but mean, we're almost out of time. We may do this again someday because there's some issues I wanted to get to. But appreciate everybody listening. Dr. Eric Evans from uh, Desert. Wait, what was it called? Desert again? Sands Ketamine. DesertSandsKetamine.com. Go to his website and appreciate you guys listening. Thanks for 100. Happy 100. Thank you for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. 
like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. This has been a production from A Podcast Studio.